One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Good morning and you're welcome along to the programme. John Paul taking your calls at 1850-333-103. Texting and WhatsApp 86 to 103-103. And by the way, yesterday we had our feature on wills that we promised uh, we would do. And then we had uh, some technical issues with some areas of West Cork yesterday while that actual piece was going out live and just to let people know because we were getting a lot of calls and texts in from people who had questions and we got through as many of the questions as we could yesterday but our feature on Wills is up on the as a podcast on c103.ie or the c103 app or wherever you get your podcasts from if you want to hear that piece uh, again uh, and during the course of our, our, of our piece a lot of people were asking about the cost of wills how much does it cost to make a will and Karen the solicitor that was on with us was saying in their practice and obviously that's all that she could speak of, speak of they charge uh, 250 euro and then we had other people uh, contacted us to say they paid they paid 250 for a will they paid less to have a will made they paid more to have a will made but Karen did explain it depends on the will and how much detail goes into the will and how much work has to be done on behalf of the solicitor you know so she was just giving a ballpark figure and very much giving a figure for how much they charge within their practice well that has prompted Raymond to contact us to say Patricia regarding making a will I think €250 to write a will is an outrageous amount of money considering after my late mother passed away in Tipperary I her son I was executor I got the will taken away from the solicitor who held it the reason for that was he wanted a huge amount of money just to read the will after getting a number of solicitors to quote me to read same it turned out my own solicitor here in Carrigaline was the cheapest by a long way and they did a fantastic job for my late mother. I then made my own will with them and there was actually no charge at all but he did tell me it would normally cost €100 at that time. Some solicitors are well able to charge very large sums of money when a loved one passes away. So it does pay to shop around when writing and also when reading the will. And that's from Raymond who says P.S. I miss ma'am every day but I know she's looking down on us all. Love the show. Um, th- thank you, Raymond. Yeah, and that there, there are people who have their mothers with them are so very lucky. I'm always envious of people who whose mothers live to ripe old ages and it's just wonderful to have a blessed mother, loved mother, or indeed father, around for a very long period of uh, time. Um, but that's interesting because most the the fact that you shopped around to get the will read, most people just go to whoever is holding the will and get them to proceed then, you know, with the reading of the will and whatever needs to be done with the will. I'm wondering how many other people have done that, have decided, no, don't want the person who's holding the will 
to do the actual reading of it and take it away and go somewhere else. Because often what can happen is that in those days and weeks after a loved one has passed away, when grief can really take over and take a grip on someone, you mightn't even be thinking properly to ask what kind of charges are going to be involved with this and you just proceed and go ahead and it's only afterwards when we look back in hindsight we would think oh maybe I should have shopped around so that's a good piece of advice I think from Raymond when you're actually having a will read that maybe you should stop and think and ask that question how much is it actually going to uh, cost but Raymond is right and and I did make that point yesterday when I was saying to people about going to make a will if you were going to a solicitor's that there's nothing wrong with shopping around there's nothing wrong with ringing every single solicitor in your town maybe go outside your area outside your town if you want to or a village you don't have to go with somebody locally but there's nothing wrong and I don't think any solicitor's practice would find anything wrong with somebody picking you know somebody getting calls in saying how much is this going to uh, cost so feel free to do that we're always telling people with other services how important it is to shop around to get the best price on things and we're constantly doing it with car insurance where every single year advocating and saying to people do not accept the premium that comes in your door for your car insurance for your house insurance for your health insurance we're telling people you know for things like your utilities your telephone your electricity you know once you're out of contract it certainly is worth might take some time you might have to put an afternoon away to sit down and either do it online or pick up the phone and ring individual companies but if you want to save money there are ways to save money by shopping around so the same should be said if you're going to write your will. 1850 but as I say it is up as a podcast on c103.ie if you missed it yesterday or unfortunately you weren't able to hear us because of what happened with um, just parts of West Cork yesterday we were off air for a period of time. Now coming up on the programme this morning I'm going to be chatting in the first hour with uh, Katrina Toomey from Cork Penny Dinners, the wonderful Katrina Toomey, who we've spoken with on many, many occasions in the past. But we've invited her onto the programme because she is making the front page of the Echo newspaper today with a story that I think we're all going to be quite shocked with when we get more detail about this. It's a young family with a, a toddler. And how they arrived at the door of Penny Dinners saying, we, you know, we're hungry, we need food. Can you feed us, uh, please? And obviously the wonderful staff, incredible volunteers that work with uh, Katrina. You know, if families want to talk, if you don't want to talk, if you want to go in and just have your dinner and not say a word, that's fine. They don't push anyone uh, to speak. But they're a very caring group in there. And obviously people come in in situations where they do want to talk and where they do want to share their story. And obviously that's what's happened with this young family when they arrived. Uh, they started to talk and they explained they'd walked 10 kilometres to get them into the doors of Cork Penny Dinners because they needed something to uh, eat. But then the staff noticed that the toddler was in a toy buggy. You know the little buggies that little girls go around with, with their dolls, their baby dolls uh, in. And some of those, you know, Little toy buggies are quite sturdy little things, but they're certainly never designed for a toddler to sit in. And it seems with this family, their own buggy broke and there was no way a toddler could walk the 10 kilometres. And obviously the parents would do their best to carry the child. But if you're walking 10 kilometres, and I was also thinking walking 10 kilometres hungry, you know, you'd, you'd be hard pushed to carry a toddler as well. So they had... 
obviously I'm assuming it's a little girl is it and she had a little toy buggy and they put her into that into the doll's buggy and, and pushed her the 10 kilometres she's kind of thinking God almighty how does any family find themselves in that situation with you know just no resources nothing to fall back on when something goes wrong and there's a lot of families they don't have to be homeless who live like that sort of paycheck to paycheck or borrowing Peter to pay Paul and when something goes wrong like a cooker breaks or the washing machine breaks down or the child's buggy breaks it's on its last legs and finally the last legs give in and you can't push the child in the buggy anymore and you don't have the money or the resources to get a new buggy you know where do you go now I know you would have people like Vincent de Paul who certainly will step in but it's just it's when something like that happens it just pushes the family just completely off the cliff you know it's just you know we all like to think we have a, have a bit of money in reserves don't you for when the emergencies happen but for a lot of people they don't have anything in reserves they literally live hand to mouth and I was seeing the, the Safe Food Ireland have just bought have done a study showing the amount of families I think it's 10% of families live in food poverty so there are hard to believe in 2019 where we nearly have full employment but it's hard to believe that we still have people living in food poverty. And then so when I think about it, I think, well, no, it's probably not that hard to believe. The reason we have people in food poverty, if you are trying to keep a roof over your head and you're privately renting and you, even if you're on the HAP scheme where you're getting help from the state to pay for your rent, but we know that the HAP scheme doesn't cover the full amount of the rent and the landlord says, you know, I'll give you the house or I'll leave you in the house, but I want extra money. You're not going to get any more from HAP. You're paying a top up and you pay over the top up because the landlord is looking for more money because the landlord knows if you leave, they can get a bigger sum of money. So the landlord is trying to make some landlords are in it because it's a business. So they're trying to make extra money. So you're going to keep, try to keep that roof over your head. And if you've got a young family, you are desperately trying to keep that roof over your head. So you're going to pay extra. And the only way you can get that extra money is to take it out of the food budget because everything else is, you know, the bit is put away for the electricity or the bit is put away for the heating or the gas or whatever it is. So the only way you can save every week is on the food spend So you're spending less and less every week. So I can, in a way, understand how families end up in food poverty. And that's where the likes of Penny Dinners come in. I mean, they are feeding more people than they ever fed. They're not just feeding people that find themselves homeless and have nowhere to go but Penny Dinners to get a hot dinner. They're now feeding families who have a roof over their head, but everything's going into paying the rent. So, yeah. But it's just, it's hard to imagine that it's happening, doesn't it? In in our own, you know, wonderful, wonderful city and county that we live in, that a family had no other option but to walk 10 kilometres to get a hot meal with a, a child in a buggy that should have had a doll in it and instead had their little toddler uh, in it. We'll speak with Katrina more about that story uh, this morning. We're also going to hear a call for over the overpayment on tolls that that money should be gathered up every year and given to charities. Can I hear and hear straight away nominate a charity, Cork Penny Dinners? Couldn't they do with the money to buy food to give to that family that we're talking about and the other people that they feed? It's I, I don't know, and we will try and tease it out in the in the interview, if we can get an exact figure on how much extra is collected by the toll people. And this is by motorists who are just throwing into the basket two euro when it's a one euro ninety for the toll 
and they don't get their change back because the basket doesn't give out change and the company then gather up all of the extra money that comes in every year and it seems that it runs to tens of thousands of euro every year and we're trying to find out why the toll companies see that as income. Should they not be no, they're obviously, and I'm assuming they're legally entitled to do it. But is there not something morally wrong with that? This is people who were busy or who didn't need the 10 cent. Why should the toll company keep it? Should the toll company not be gathering it up and then get, because the toll roads then have people from all over the country using them. We all, you know, you might live in an area where you, I mean, I certainly don't use a toll uh, every day or even every week, but there will be times during the year when I will be on toll roads and I willingly pay my tolls, you know, and, uh, you know, and I drive on those roads and I'm thankful those roads are there and I know why the tolls have to be paid and all of that. But if I decide to give and leave an extra 10 cent I would like to think that that money is going on to charity. It's like when you're in a shop and you get change back and you don't want the five cent or the ten cent and you say put it in the box. You know, the charity boxes that are on the the counter. It's kind of something like that, isn't it? So I think it should go to uh, charity. So we're going to find out in a push. What can we do to get the toll companies? I think there's a moral. There's a moral side to this. It's not your money, folks. So pass it on. Give it, you know, pass the... the if, if the people have put in them the extra money and are willing to to move on, probably for speed and, don't, you know, they don't, they're busy lives and they don't want to wait around for the 10 cents so they, they went to the basket where you throw in the extra rather than go to the manned one where you get your change. Then I think morally these toll companies should be giving the money on to a charity. There's enough decent charities out there. And get the ordinary people who use the toll roads to nominate who they would like, what charities. You know, we could all, maybe, you know, a couple of times a year they could open up a thing on a, put it up on a website and we could nominate what charities and if the charity gets enough votes or whatever. Do it somewhere like that. You know, a bit of imagination, folks, but give the money out to uh, well-known charities that are doing terrific work working with uh, the poor of this uh, country. We're going to then speak with a young soccer referee at about 20 past 11 uh, today. He has just so sickened with threats from adults on the sideline because he referees at underage matches, soccer matches, that he resigned the week before last. He said, I've had enough. So we're going to talk about the actual event that day that sort of pushed him over the edge to say, no, I've been putting up with this kind of nonsense long enough and these threats long enough. I've had enough. And he's decided to resign. There's a, a, a danger and a worry there that if more of the referees who referee the underage games. If we don't have refs to referee the underage ga- games, you know, what happens to the underage games? Something has to happen and we have to get a handle on why th- this aggression on the sideline of underage matches. Now you'll see it. I mean, you see it at adult matches as well, but it just seems so wrong at an underage match. And, we, and it's just, what, what are we saying to our young people? And what example are we showing to our young people, if they're on the pitch and they're watching, you assume mammy or daddy having a go at the referee. Do they then think, well, I'm, you know, because in in, the, in a young boy's eyes, take for example, because it was a man was involved in here, take that it was one of the kids' fathers. You know, to that kid, you know, dad is his idol. If it's an under 12 match, 10, 11, 12 year old kid, you know, dad is, is their idol. And they see dad roaring and making aggressive gestures towards the referee. Does that child walk away thinking, that's the right thing to do? My dad did it, so it must be the right thing to do. So when that child is in 
the playground and something goes wrong with another child and they get aggressive to the other child. You know, monkey see, monkey do, isn't isn't you know that that's what the child is is learning. So I think adults really need to cop themselves on a little bit when they go to encourage and we want to encourage our children to take sport but you can do it without having to go with the referee even if you don't agree with what the referee did it is not okay to be threatening to a young 20 year old who is giving up his Saturdays and Sundays to referee your son or daughter's match it is simply not right and it has to uh, stop. We're going to preview the 14th anniversary of the South of Ireland Band Championships. It's on in Clonakilty this uh, Saturday, going strong 40 years on. And what's terrific about this event on Saturday, some of the bands who participated 40 years ago are, are, are going to be participating again this uh, Saturday. And it's also tied in with the Old Time Fair. That's a wonderful, wonderful day in Clonakilty. So you're going to have the two big events together. I imagine there isn't a bed to be got in Clonakilty for this coming Friday or uh, Saturday night. And then after half past 12 today, Joe Heffernan will join us on the programme. And today, Joe is going to be discussing loneliness. And loneliness, sadly, is a huge problem in this country. You, you straight away, when you think of loneliness, you think of people in very isolated rural areas and, you know, they don't see anyone from one end of the day to the other. But you can have somebody living in the middle of a large city and they can also be lonely. They can see nobody from one end of the day uh, to the next. So what do we do about loneliness? How do we combat it? How can we help ourselves if we are finding ourselves in a situation where we're feeling lonely, is there something we can do ourselves uh, to try to get out of that cycle of of isolation, which then obviously leads to uh, loneliness? And motorists are overpaying tolls on Ireland's motorways by hundreds of thousands of euro every year, prompting calls for this cash to be donated to charity. One of those making the calls is Kildare North Social Democrat TD, Catherine Murphy, who joins me on the programme. Good morning to you, Catherine. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well, thank Good. you. Now, have any of the companies operating the motorways revealed just how much they collect in excess coins each year? Not all of them. There is only a, I only have figures for two of them. Um, but the others, because they were developed under public-private partnerships, are not open. Their, their their accounts wouldn't be public in 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 the way that I could, uh, you know, seek information yeah. under freedom of information. Uh, so I have uh, I have information from the East Link and I have information from the Dublin Port Tunnel. And for example, the Dublin Port Tunnel, um, there was thirty six thousand last year in excess just in in that one location in the East Link Bridge. It is fourteen and a half thousand. Um, and like the only road that it won't apply on will be the M50 because that's it's that's an automatic toll. It's tags, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so um, they 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 won't have excess. But you would exactly. assume you would assume from those figures that the others would have similar yeah. amounts of money collected. Yeah, you'd have to. Which of us have not ended up, um, you know, thinking we're driving into a um, one of the even though they're they're fairly well marked driving into one of the lanes and discovering that we haven't got the exact change yeah. and um and essentially it's where you don't have the exact change and there's an excess paid it's not income that's earned by the company it's you know it's over and above the toll and it's where where does that where does that money go to um and are they by law entitled to keep it yep yeah, it's treated as revenue from from their point of view it's silent on it 
um, um, it's it's you know there's there's no stipulation. But the interesting thing is on the converse side of that, some of the public private partnerships were developed on the basis that they got a a, a certain throughput of traffic, mm. and where they underachieve in terms of if that's the word to use, where they where they underachieve that traffic, then uh, the state is obliged to pay a subvention to them. So it seems to kind of work. Um, only in one direction, but this is money that you know the public have paid over and above, and the, uh, just we we just stick with that net point. And for example, the 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 M8 for 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 my bypass, for example, in the latest figures I have, and I'm seeking an update for them, twelve point eight million was paid annually in tolls. Now there is certainly going to be a proportion of that uh, that will will be. Um, uh, an overpayment, and yeah, and, and as you say, by law they are entitled to keep it. But morally, yeah. it would be the right and the kind thing to do, wouldn't it? To be to donate yeah. it to charity. Yeah, when you look at the, you know, you look at the tidy towns, you look at Meals on Wheels, you look at, you know, um, your various sporting clubs that, you know, are supported by you know businesses in all of the main streets and shopping centres and things like that, who are routinely asked for, you know, uh, spot prizes and things like that just to keep the show on the road um, this is not the, the these are not the kind of entities where you know the, the Tidy Towns Committee would you know write to you know the, the people running the, the M8 for my bypass asking them for a, a contribution exactly. to, yeah. to help yeah, to keep the point. show on the road you know I mean essentially they, they tend not to be the targets for things that keep our areas you know from a volunteer point of view uh, you know Taking over and doing very valuable work, and essentially, um, if you look at, for example, the exa- the example that I used was where there is an overpayment in Dublin bus, where it went cashless, and people, you know, the money is just collected and counted at the end of the day automatically, if you like. Um, essentially, where there's overpayments there that are not claimed, um, those overpayments go into a fund, and that fund then is you know, people or organisations within their catchment apply and then they, they have a, a means of dispersing that and they have a kind of an event that they do that and I think it creates goodwill. Absolutely. And I was even saying when I mentioned you were you were coming on the programme to discuss this, my local garage, they donate any profits from when Rounding Up came in, when they got rid of the one and the two cent coins, they, they donate that to local charities. Every month a little sign goes up saying from the Rounding Up how much was made and, you know, it, sometimes it's only 50, 60 euro every month but they give it to a local charity and yeah. there's, there's something you you don't mind then it's it's almost like as well when you're in a shop and you know something comes to whatever 9.95 and there's five cent left and you say I put it in the box you know the charity boxes that are on the counter so people w- would would like the idea that the money would go to charity they don't yeah. want it going to the big corporate entity yeah, I mean, I think that I think there's a degree of a fair play argument here. And look, what I—they're I, not legally obliged to do this, but I think uh, there would be an issue of goodwill um, and, uh, and the spirit of, of what's intended in collecting tolls. Um, and I, I think I think that they should voluntarily uh, make that gesture and. Um, you know, it it could be that they do something like Dublin Bus, or they could do something like adopting a particular uh, a particular um, organisation or whatever. I I think it 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 could be done, and it could be done quite easily. And I think it would create a degree of goodwill. Um, and it, it given that it is the it's really the public that have 
made the contribution yeah. rather than and they also told. because people from all over the country use the tolled roads they could also operate a scheme whereby they get people to nominate various charities yep. to, to receive money Absolutely. I mean, you see that in some supermarkets where they have maybe a choice of uh, two or three charities yeah. and you get a token and put the token in the, in, you know. And, the charity of your you know, choice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they, look, there's a whole, they can be imaginative, but, but what it does is it creates a degree of goodwill. And um, the other thing is that it does assist some of the organisations that really are really what you would describe as really show the best of us mm. um, with the, the kind of volunteering that is, is done and I think it's it, it, that kind of volunteering is utterly appreciated but one of the toughest parts of of any of those organisations that one of the toughest things that they do is trying to fundraise and even you find with some organisations even fairly small amounts of money are the difference in uh, keeping the show on the road um, and you know maybe not even surviving so yeah. you know I, I think there's I think there's a degree of, of goodwill that they could um uh, they they could show by by absolutely doing absolutely this. Well, well done on on raising this. Are you personally going to contact the companies or? I hadn't decided yet what way I'm going to approach it. I'm looking for some additional information in relation to the degree of subventions. And after I do that, then then I'll, I'll chart out a plan, okay. a plan of action. I tend to be in the in in the, the the family of people who kind of once I get a hold of something, I like to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> we we will follow this closely. There's a lot of people th- saying, "Well done to Catherine Murphy. This is a terrific idea." And somebody else is saying, "Patricia, how ironic that you're talking with Catherine about this, and your next interview is going to be uh, with Cork Penny." dinners. Yeah, we've Cork Penny Dinners coming on actually, Catherine, next, yep. uh, highlighting a story of a family this week who walked 10 kilometres ten yeah, kilo- with yeah. a child yeah. in, a, in, in yeah. 2019. What is wrong with this country? Yeah, yeah. It's just And you're ashamed. That's, yeah. And that's how most people will feel. And it shouldn't be happening. Um, and it's a really good example of how you can make a real difference. But should that be happening anyway? That's, that somebody should be in that position that they have to do that. Yeah. All right, uh, Catherine Nissen, thank you for that. Um, I enjoyed our chat. We'll talk again. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Good morning to you. That is uh, Catherine Murphy, who is the Kildare North Social Democrat uh, TD. And actually on uh, tolls, Shauna Mitchiston says when you go to the toll off the motorway to Castle Lines at exit 15, if you throw in your two euro into the basket, this is the 191, the 10 cent will come out in the basket. It's only fair that you get your changes. If you were in a shop, you get your change uh, back. So why is that not happening at all toll booths? Well, well, it's, it's seemingly it isn't happening in all toll booths. There are toll booths uh, where, you, where they're there's they're they're manual where there's um where they're manned sorry so you can hand in your two euro and somebody will hand you back out your ten cent I always feel for those people that have to sit in those toll booths all day handing out the ten cent uh, to people it just particularly on a cold day my heart always goes out to them but anyway I'm sorry that's an aside but there are there are other tolls where you can drive through and the ba- with the basket. It's for speed. It's if you don't want to queue up with the others and you don't get any change and it clearly says no change and so you throw in your two euro and you don't get your 10 cent back. That's what Catherine's talking about, the amount of money that's been collected and she had the figures, as I say, just from some uh, but she reckons it runs to tens of thousands of euro and all of the companies admit they collect the money and that they use it as income and it goes into the pot as income when really I don't think it should neither does she she thinks it should go to a charity instead some of your calls and texts coming into the programme on the reading of a will 
and how much it costs to have the will read. This is as opposed to having the will written that we discussed yesterday. We actually didn't get into the reading of the will. It was more the the getting the will made uh, was where the bulk of the questions came in about yesterday. Uh, Mary says, Trish, it is best to ask how much it's going to cost to have a will read because actually it can cost up to €500. Best to read it it yourself or a family member. I don't know, is that possible? Can you do that? But certainly what Raymond was saying, it it pays to shop around, to ring around to different sisters and ask them Somebody's passed away, a will needs to be read. How much are you going to charge? Actually, get a price uh, on it. But uh, so it's not to get a shock like that, 500 euro, if you weren't expecting it, could come as a bill, could come as a bit of a shock. And good morning, Patricia. Oh, this is a. And we spoke actually, when I spoke with Catherine Murphy, she reckoned she spoke about the volunteerism of Tidy Towns and how great Tidy Towns committees are. And she was making the point that if some of that money from the tolls, if you were, you know, passing it on to charity or to worthy causes, Tidy Towns would be a great one. And I think there would be, would be a nice tie-in with the tolled roads and the work that the Tidy Towns group do in keeping roads clean. I think that would be a really nice tie-in there. Uh, high Band in Tidy Towns, they are doing a major litter pick all around Bandon tonight at 7 now, obviously, they've got their core group of volunteers who turn up week after week after week, but they're looking for some extra help. So if anybody's in the Bandon area tonight and you have an hour or two to spare, would you go out and help the guys and gals of Bandon Tidy Town? They really would appreciate it. And you'll feel terrific after you've done the work. And it's a great way to meet up with local people and to chat to other people. And there's just a great sense of achievement when the work is done. They're going to meet at Kellerhurst, Glasslin. The pickers, gloves and bags will all be provided for you. So you literally just turn up at yourself and they'll sort you out. And that's from Margaret on behalf of Band in Tidy Towns. And I hope they get a huge crowd turning up this evening. Good luck with that. Seven o'clock at uh, Kelleher's if you're in Bandon uh, later on. And hi, Patricia. I walk through Mill Street in Timmerleague most evenings. Go out for my daily walk. The smell of cats in this area is absolutely terrible. It's particularly bad up near the chemist shop. Cats are roaming this street and have been for the last few months, but the smell lately has gone really bad. I'm just wondering, do any of the residents in that area get the smell? I wish to remain anonymous, please, uh, says our listener. So Mill, mid, the Mill Street area of Timmerleague. Now, the fact that cats are roaming that area, I'm assuming there must be a lot of wild, feral cats in that area. And I know when this listener says the smell of cats, it's that smell of cat urine. That strong smell of cat pee that is so distinctive. Anyone that's ever had a cat will know exactly what that smell is like. And can I say from past experience of having cats in the past, the only thing that gets rid of it is bleach. There is nothing else I've ever discovered that will get rid of that smell except bleach. But anyway, this is outside uh, in the Timolee area. Anybody else noticed it? If there's people living in that area, working in that area, have they almost become immune to it because it's so bad, according to this listener? I don't know. Uh, anyway, your thoughts welcomed on that. 1850 John Paul takes the calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. 
The C103 Cork Diary is a free service to help non-profit organisations all over Cork. So, if you're a community group or a charity that's holding a fundraising event or meeting, send us the details at least one week in advance and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email info at c103.ie. The Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Today's Echo newspaper leads with the story of a homeless Cork couple who walked more than 10 kilometres pushing their toddler in a toy buggy to get a hot meal. They went to get their hot meal from Cork Penny Dinners where I'm joined by uh, Katrina Toomey. Good morning to you, Katrina. Um, I have to say this story just shocked me uh, today. What what was yeah. the reaction when this little family arrived at your door? Well, you know, it was one of, you know, hurt for them. Everybody felt it impacted greatly on them and all the volunteers felt it as well, you know. And while, as I said, they, were, they weren't there because of the buggy, they were there because of their situation and that they needed help for food and... Um, so the buggy was kind of the last thing on their minds, but it was something that we saw, like this was very visible, and we said, we we just have to do something about it. We couldn't let them suffer any more than what they were suffering, you know, without stepping in and doing something. And you describe them as a very dignified and focused young, very, young yeah, couple. Very, very focused, yeah. They were very focused. And again, very lucky to secure a place because if they were in the system any longer, the horror of their situation like would have just taken its toll on them and made them less resilient and uh, the pain, you know, that, that kicks in from that. You can see it. Like we have people that we know that are 12, two years in places and when you see them at the start, they look kind of okay. They're shocked and traumatised by what has happened. Like, but as the months and months strike on, when you see them, there's a fierce amount of issues after kicking in for them. It just wears them down. Yeah, it, it, it wears them down completely. And you can see that look on their face. You know, they're they're, and uh, you know, if anybody's under any stress, you know what it does to you. But if it's constant stress and, and with your family and not being able to have space for them that can be really like detrimental to the, the, the parents' mental health alone. Yeah, because there's no let-up from it. No let-up, it's continuous. And again, like I've stressed like that this summer, they're going to be stuck inside in one room with no space. If they have to, they can't even open the door to let the child out. If they do, they have to go up with the child and outside the premises all together, which can be, you know, so how can you keep a child cooped up in the room and how can you walk around all day long or sit in the park all day long? with children. It's just not humane. Is homelessness and that living in emergency accommodation, a hotel room, so much tougher for families with with young children? Absolutely. It is. It's crazy. Could you, like, some of them have, you know, one child, like, but some of two, three, four and five and they're all stuck inside in one room. It's just unbearable. I know I wouldn't be able to stand this and I can imagine how hard it is for them. And for anybody else, when you look at it, like twenty four seven, stuck inside in one room. And then no, no, no cooking facilities. So they're living on what? Takeaways, fast food, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And and things like hot noodles now, you know, and anything that you can use like with a kettle kettle. kettle. because there's a report out today from Safe Food and they are they've done a study showing uh, 10% of the the population live in food poverty that wouldn't surprise you at all 
It wouldn't surprise me, even if, if not more, because it's growing. You know, there's a huge amount of poor around at the minute, and there something suffers always within the house household. So bills and rent and mortgages are kind of taken care of first. And the last thing is the food, and they'll try to scale back in that as much as they can, and then they find like that the bills get worse, and they've less, they've nothing left them, like you know, for food, and they need top ups like just to keep them going and things. Yeah, so. And that young family that arrived to you who walked the the ten kilometres, yeah. do they literally not have the price of the bus in no, town? No, they had no money. They had no money at that time. None whatsoever. There was a changeover in their money and they had nothing. And they had used whatever money they had for to get some food for themselves for the few days prior to that. So they so they got up one morning and that was it, they had nothing. Yeah, but there's lots of people lots of people waiting for to have their social welfare payments sorted and in the meantime they're left with nothing. No money for food, no money for anything. And even viewing properties, like if, you, if you're going to, like this couple use the train and use the bus to go to lots of places to view as many properties as they could get their, you know, hands on, like to see. And um, that w- when they did get their payments sorted, that was eaten into their budget as well because they were, they were going to get a place. So again, left no stone unturned. But, you know, it's not that easy. Like, it's just, you know, you can't just say you're homeless, like, without letting people be aware of all the issues that come with it as well. There's a this comes with it, like there's a, a poverty, I suppose, towards um, you know having no money or no disposable income, and there's a poverty towards like the mental health as well that's greatly affected by it. And people can sometimes find themselves in a position whereby when they're affected um, by this, that they can't even function anymore. They find it very difficult to function. So that's what touched us about this family that they were really aware what could happen to them. So yeah. that I think they just made, you know, this, you know, and they didn't between themselves, they'd sort themselves out and keep at it and at it and at it for the sake of their family. And I believe they didn't even ask you for help with the with no, the buggy. No, not at all. They were so grateful for the food. They didn't ask us for anything at all. Just a bit of food. But again, we saw this and we couldn't leave it. We couldn't leave it like that. Yeah. You know, God, I mean, you, you'd, you'd help out yourself in any situation. Would, we yeah. just happen to be a charity that saw this I know, I and know. were able to step in. But even if you saw it and you saw somebody, you'd be wanting to do something. Yeah, like tr- that's, yeah. that's our nature here, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah. is. It is. And, and I was in the echo today, in the interview that you gave, you came across, you, you told the story of another man who didn't realise he was going blind until he left the house. Yeah. yeah. Because he didn't have the, he wasn't turning on the electricity. And he just thought, like, that, you know, that everything was, you know, and we didn't know what he was saying at the, you know, at the start. And we, we said, what's he saying? We just thought that he was kind of losing it a small bit, like, and then we understood exactly what he was saying, like, so we told him what he would have to do, like. With, he obviously had, a ca- he had cataracts or something. He had, he had. But obviously, like yeah. being in the house, not putting yeah. on the electricity at night. Can't see yeah. in the dark. Oh, God, I'm a poor man. Yeah. All right. Okay. Listen, uh, Katrina. As as always, we wish you uh, the best of luck. You're doing amazing work at uh, Penny Dinners. You and the rest of the gang there. And yeah, uh, thanks for taking time out to talk to us. No problem. Thanks Good morning to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. The wonderful uh, Katrina Toomey from uh, Cork Penny Dinners. You're listening to Cork today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
talking about what's happening in Wimbledon uh, today. Uh, I take it by now most people know what happened in Wimbledon yesterday and what has been one of probably the biggest uh, shocks. Certainly it's the first major shock for Wimbledon 2019 when this young American schoolgirl, just 15 years old, Coco Guff, as a name we're going to, I think, be speaking about into the future. She's the youngest player at 15 to qualify for the event in the Open era. And yesterday, of course, she knocked out what what now turns out to be one of her former idols, five-time champion Venus Williams. In one of the greatest upsets in the tournament's history, Coco better opponent, who, while she's the youngest... Venus Williams at 39 is the oldest woman in the draw this year and she better in straight sets. The American youngster earned a thundering standing ovation in court one as she clenched the match 6-4, 6-4, falling to her knees in tears of disbelief as her parents roared their approval from the player's box. Ranked in the world at 301, she won the French Open junior title last year and winning that then gave her a wild card into the Wimbledon qualifying event. And obviously she qualified out of that. She said it had always been her dream to play against one of the Williams sisters. And it was the Williams sisters who had actually inspired her to pick up a racket when she was just seven. Although she bet Venus yesterday, it's Venus's younger sister, Serena, who featured in a poster on her bedroom wall. And she said she used to look at Serena Williams every day and that was a reminder to work hard uh, every day. And, you know, the youngest player knocking out the oldest player. And I thought it was interesting when I heard that Venus Williams actually had won two Wimbledon titles before this young girl Coco was even born. (laughs) So it's, it's incredible. So Coco Guff, Gruff, Guff, I think how you pronounce it. She certainly is a name I imagine we're going to be hearing a lot of into the future. And actually just staying on Wimbledon, now I don't know whether this is me and I'm being a bit old fashioned about this, but Wimbledon umpires are ending the use of curtsy titles like Miss or Mrs for female players and they're doing it for the first time at this year's tournament. Women will no longer now be identified by their marital status during match scoring in a change of tradition for the All England Club. Umpires will not use the titles when announcing an end of a game score or an end of a match score. Match officials will simply say game or game set and match followed by the female player's surname. Now that is the case with the men's game. So they're kind of saying, you know, with equality, Everything is all about equality. So we're going to, what we do for the men, we're going to do for the women. Previously, what had happened was, say, when a married female player, such as, seeing as we've mentioned uh, the Williams, Serena Williams, if she won a game, the umpire would say, game, Mrs. Williams. Whereas for a male player, they would always say, and will continue to say, say, if Roger Federer won a match, it would be game, Federer. So for this year, the Miss Williams or Mrs. Williams or Miss Navratilova that gets dropped and it will just be the surname so it'll be Game Williams. As I say, I don't know, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm a little bit old fashioned. I liked the way they used Ms and uh, Mrs. But they don't do it for the men so they're going to stop doing it for the women uh, as well. I don't know if anyone has been watching Wimbledon so far have even have even noticed that they have been doing that. 1850 Now, I've had an email into patricia at c103.ie 
from a one of our listeners looking for advice and just to see is this has this been happening to anybody else and what's going on. Hello Patricia. I am sitting here writing this email, scratching my head and thinking, what's wrong with people? I would like to ask your listeners, are they having the same problems as I am having? I'm selling three items on Ireland's most famous selling website. We all know its name. And for the last two and a half weeks, I got phone calls and texts, daytime and nighttime, asking me about my items. I've every description about my items written up on the ad for everybody to see. But people still ring me, not even reading what I have, what I, not even, not even having read what I've written on my ad. So I just tell them again from the start exactly what I've said in my ad. So giving a very clear description. Which, which Barry has put up on the ad. Very clear description, but people still think, would you describe it for me, please? Anyway, that kind of thing. But the most annoying and frustrating thing is they promise me they will turn up that night or over the next couple of days. And what I do then is I wait around for them. But now, every time, no one turns up. Even happened over the weekend. I was told by a good few people that they were coming to my house Some people even told me to keep the items for them and please do not sell them to anybody else as I really want to buy them. So I stayed in the house all weekend waiting for them. No one turned up. So then I said to myself, I'll just ring or text them to see if something has happened and maybe they couldn't make it for some reason and, you know, life circumstances and all of that. So went on to ring, went on the phone and rang and text and would you believe No one answered the phone and nobody texts me back. I'm still waiting, Patricia. I think it's very bad manners uh, and very bad manners and form from these people to do this. I would like to know from other listeners and would you put it out there to see, is this common? Is it happening to a lot of people these days? It's a sad way to do things and I'm disheartened by it all, to be honest. Thanking you. And that's signed by simply Barry. So we're trying to find out, has that happened to other people? You know, like what is wrong with people? If you ring up somebody to say, yes, I'm going to call. Yes, I want to purchase that item. Yes, I'm interested in that item. And, and what the real worry here is that Barry could lose out on the sale to somebody else. Because if I've rang up to say, yes, I really want to buy the fridge freezer, for example, that Barry is selling. And then for whatever reason, I agree that I'll call on Friday night and some stage then during the day or during the next few days, I change my mind. Out of common courtesy, would I would ring Barry back and say, sorry, no, I no longer want the fridge freezer. I'm after getting a better offer. I'm after buying a new one. Or, you know, or the mother-in-law has given me one. You know what I mean? You will explain what, what has happened. But to just not show up and not make any contact is just, it's well, to me, it's just complete rudeness. I don't know. Is this a sign of the times? Is this the way people are going? That people are just becoming rude? And that there's just no manners there anymore. And, you know, common courtesy, if you're not going to be able to show up for something, are, you know, and at the end of the day, Barry puts the ad up on a website. He's selling items. People approach him because they're interested in the item. You know, the first part of his email, it's frustrating that people don't read what's in the ad and he has to go and explain everything that he's written in the ad. That's just stupidity, I think, on people's behalf. They just see the photograph and a bit of laziness. Couldn't be too lazy to read all of the detail. Sure, I'll ring him up and get him to explain instead. So we'll put that just down to laziness. But then to say, yes, I'm really interested in it. 
agreed a price, yes, I'll call. And then to simply not show up and not to make any kind of a contact. And then obviously when Barry rings them back, they know Barry's number. Oh, best not take that. That's the seller. And sure we didn't turn up. It's just complete and utter rudeness. Anybody got an understanding of why that's happening? Has it happened to anybody else? Anybody got advice for Barry as to what he can do to make sure that he is selling to genuine people who are going to come and not be time wasters because it's you know it's shameful that he said to spend the whole weekend waiting for people to call who then you know didn't hadn't even the common decency to contact him to say why they weren't calling 1850 John Paul taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs Experienced block layer required for immediate start for work in Cork City and McCroom areas. A person wanted to do some light housework and preparing dinner that's in the Butterfant area, while an experienced excavator driver is wanted for work in Kinsale and the Cork City area, and part-time accounts person required for the Canturk area, a knowledge of Sage Line 50, that would be an advantage. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. A 20-year-old referee from Kildare has quit his role after threats were made to him during a recent underage football match by a man on the sideline. Harry McGann is a UCC student and the MD of Trendster.ie. And uh, Harry joins me. Good morning to you, Harry. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome. Just to get some background here, how long have you been refereeing and why did you take up the role of referee? Yeah, so I've been refereeing for about four to five years now and um, it's purely just sport, um, really like football, always have and yeah, just wanted to get involved. Is it a paid position? Yeah, so you get about 30 euros a game um, for an underage game. Or oh, that kind of just covers expenses more than anything, is it? Yeah, it usually just covers petrol and kind of just getting there and also the equipment as well. So to buy referees, jerseys, to buy flags, whistles, all that kind of things. Oh, they don't they don't furnish you with all those? No, so you buy them all yourself. So you need to have a, a couple of sets of jerseys, football boots, all that kind of stuff. So there's, oh, okay. there's a bit of gear involved. Okay, and you referee in the Kildare area. How many matches typically would you have refereed over a weekend? Well, it was originally only about two or three, but as the years have gone on, a lot of referees dropped off, so it meant I was refereeing three, maybe four games some weekends. And the age group of the children? Anywhere between the ages of about under 12 to under 18. Now, tell me about the incident that has forced you to make this quite drastic decision to give it up. What happened? Yeah, so without going into too much detail, there was an incident on the pitch that infuriated one of the managers, and as a result, he came on, and there was a lot of a lot of foul language used. And as a result, I had to ask him to leave the pitch; wouldn't leave again using foul language. So I asked him to leave. Eventually, he did, and then I had to ask him to leave the ground to continuing to use foul abusive language in an under 13s kids game. And at that stage, he threw out his arm towards me. I flinched, and he goes, "What are you going to do about it?" So I uh, unfortunately had to abandon the game, and they made the decision after that that this just wasn't worth pursuing. And were there at an under thirteen match? Were there a lot of parents on the sideline? Yeah, there was a lot of parents on both sidelines. Um, one sideline had a better, clearer view than the other. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of parents. Like it was uh, with kids' games, there tends to be a lot of parents yeah. on the sideline. 
and yeah, it was it was, it was quite surprising. I must admit, um, the lack of action from a lot of people surrounding, and I suppose the acceptance was kind of the more worrying part of anything. So no one came up to this man and say, "Oi, you know, cop yourself on. What are you doing?" No, unfortunately, lost. Um, people seem to think that that's a fair reaction um, to, to to an incident like that. Parents on the other sideline weren't impressed. They didn't see it, so they couldn't really act. And they said that that was completely unacceptable. But the people on the sideline where this person had stepped onto the pitch didn't seem to think there was too much of an issue. Now, at the end of every match, there has to be a referee's report. Isn't, isn't that what happens? Yeah, so with an incident, if an incident occurs like that, I submit a report to the, the local league. And then if there's an incident where there's an assault, which there wasn't in this case, but where there's kind of threat of an assault, it's usually passed on to the FAI. So obviously you sent in your report to the local league? Yeah, so I wrote a report, um, quite basic enough, because the incident was, was, I suppose, simple enough. But um, yeah, I submitted it less than 24 hours after the incident. And what reaction did you get from them? <laughs> the FBI um, released a statement condemning the behaviour, but there was nothing else really other than that. Um, I haven't heard anything, and I, I probably won't if any other incidents are to are to go by. Um, they don't reply or they don't respond, and they just they t- they do take action, but I'll never know what action it is. So, so you resigned? Yeah. Um, as I said, it's, it's 30 euros for a game. It's good money. No doubt about it. But, you know, it really only covers petrol and expenses and stuff like that. And it was very much for a love of the game. But, you know, the love of the game is kind of diminished a bit considering the behaviour over recent months of parents and managers. And it's, it's just no longer enjoyable. And it's just no longer worth my time. But has anyone from the local league in Kildare or indeed higher up from the FAI come to you and said, Harry, look, you know, you're a good referee. We need referees. We don't want you to resign. What can we do to keep you? No, there hasn't been any comments or anything from any of the FAI representatives or the local leagues. Nobody at all. Are you surprised by that? No, I'm not. Um, I don't think the leagues or the, the Football Association have any appreciation or take any consideration for referees, their well-being or their safety. Um, I think they're very, very poor. I think the treatment of referees in this country is extremely poor. But you've already said that when you started refereeing, you were doing, you know, probably two matches, but that's gone up because people were leaving. And I take it people were leaving and resigning for the very same reasons that you've now resigned. Yeah, very similar to people just not really feeling that it's worth their time. Um their their time and their effort doesn't go it goes unappreciated and you know people feel unsafe and they don't feel comfortable refereeing children's football anymore because of the behaviour of adults on sidelines. And this isn't the first incident for you? No, this is my second incident in recent months where there's been threats of violence and where I've had to abandon kids' football games because of it. And then over the last four years there's been multiple incidents where I've been called horrendous things you you couldn't repeat on the radio, but just generally Behaviour and when when the the verbal abuse and the bad language and the name calling, like that's all been shouted at you, in earshot of the children, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, this is my biggest concern: is that a lot of the time parents seem to seem to don't don't think about it. And you know, I'm often accused of you know not being looked after well building well-being of children or I was once accused of being a cheat because I tied another ch- child's shoelace because they were un- incapable of tying their shoelace and I kind of go well if, if that's not acceptable try- tying a child's shoelace why is it acceptable to curse on the side of a football pitch um, so I, I don't know it's, it's, 
it's beyond belief really in some occasions um, and what is said as I said couldn't be repeated on the radio so in my opinion definitely shouldn't be said in front of children and explain that why were you called a cheat for tying the kids shoelace it was showing bias towards one, one team so if you tie a child's shoelace and they're incapable of doing it some people consider that bias so you should um, leave him run around where he could fall over and trip over the shoelace yeah um, believe it or not yeah that's been an argument before Trying to realise, like it's my my responsibility, number one responsibility is the well-being and safety of the children. And you know, in my opinion, making sure that they have all their equipment is in proper order, and making sure that they all have their shoelaces tied. Yeah, is, is yeah. And one. and in underage matches, there will be kids who just haven't learned the art of tying their shoelace uh, properly. Yeah. You've got a lot of media reaction to to your resignation, um, Harry. What other reaction are you getting? Are you getting reaction from the general public? Yeah, so far I'm yet to meet somebody who thinks the behaviour is acceptable, which is really good. Um, and generally, you know, there's been a lot of people who've said, you know, it's, they fully believe that it's a, it's not acceptable and that they've had to take their children out of the sports because there's been aggressive managers and some people saying that they've stopped refereeing themselves for the same reason. Um, and I hope that continues because I do think the more people who speak up about it, the more people talk about it, the, the more action the FAI are going to have to take. And at the moment, nothing's being done. But generally, I think if the public continues to kind of speak about it and talk about it and make sure that they realise that it's unacceptable, then you know, action will be taken, hopefully. And putting your referee's hat on, what's, what's the solution? How do we stop the, this, this issue of abuse towards referees? How can it be dealt with? Yeah, I suppose it's just a zero tolerance approach to things. Yeah. Um, doing what the IRFU do with the rugby, you know, kids for rugby, they all know they're not to speak to referee. Same with the managers, same with coaches, same with parents. And that, you know, there's there's manners and there's respect there. I think that's what there needs to be. And it's not, you know, I don't want anybody to go, sir, or please, or thank you. I just want very basic respect and where people don't abuse you or personally abuse you or threaten you. And I think the IRFU have really put in basically a zero tolerance plan. And I think the FBI need to take the same action and I don't think it's unachievable I think it's just laziness I really think from the FAI by not putting this in place if the IRFU can do the same thing in, in one country in this country I don't understand why the FAI can't Yeah I mean I think a lot of people look to rugby and think what well, you know the, the respect level for referees is, is, is on a different level and, and you're right it is because of that uh, zero tolerance because you would hear about it going on in GAA matches as well I mean this isn't I know you're, you're coming at it from a soccer point of view but it happens at GAA matches, this abuse of the ref, doesn't it? Yes, it's happening at all levels, I think, in all different sports. Um, I do think, as you said, we really have managed to nail it down. But, you know, from a GAA point of view and from the football point of view, there really needs to be action taken. I think in a lot of underage sports generally, there are a lot of stories over the last couple of weeks about referees saying that, you know, it happens in all sports. I can only speak from personal experience from the soccer, but... You know, there's plenty of people I'm sure can share stories about other sports. So I think we just need general mindsetting, and people need to be saying, you know what, if you're going to be involved in children's sports, you need to behave in a certain way. And if you can't do that, then you shouldn't be involved. Plain and simple. Yeah, I just, I just think the example it's setting for children, if they can hear adults carrying on like that, you know, next week when they're in the playground and they get into a ruck with with someone in the playground uh, and we wonder why that child is using abusive language or becoming violent. It's because they saw it at the weekend. They saw, you know, mammy or daddy or the coach doing it. It's just, you know, yeah. we wonder where, that's where children learn that kind of behaviour. It's learned behaviour. 
Yeah, it is. And I think you see it. If the, the parents and the managers are aggressive. The kids on the pitch become aggressive too. So it's, it kind of, it's a, one leads to the other. And I think it's very clear, you know, if, if there's managers and there's parents who respect the referee and respect everyone involved, the kids tend to replicate that respect. But if it's the other way around, the kids will replicate that too. Yeah. And I think that's an important life lesson, really. It's not just about in sports. It's just general manners and general good behaviour. I think it's something that kids should be learning in sports and not not what's happening at the moment. I, I think I think it's a real shame that you're you're going to be such a great loss uh, to the local soccer league. Will you miss refereeing? I will. Yeah, um, oh, very much so. Um, it's already been a week out without it. You know. Yeah. It's, 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 it's disappointing. Um, I'm a student in UCC, so I might look at uh, bringing my preferee uh, to court at some stage. Uh, please, do. please do. Because you, uh, were, you were going home every weekend in order to referee. Wasn't that what was happening? Yeah, I was going home on a Friday evening specifically for refereeing. You know, my parents who come up and see me the odd time, and I go and see them. But the main reason was the refereeing, because I knew that if I didn't come home, you know, a lot of the times the kid wouldn't get games. So I may just stay in uh, court for the weekends yeah, and, yeah. And, and go elsewhere. You never know, it might be better, uh, might be better in court. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. I, I just, I'm, I'm a bit afraid to say anything there on that one, but <laughs> hopefully it might get a bit better for you. Listen, Harry, a real pleasure to talk to you. You're off, you're, you're off for the summer, obviously. Now, have you, have you picked up any other part-time work to get you through the summer? Yeah, so I'm interning in Vodafone in Dublin for the summer, so oh, wow. keep myself busy. Okay. Um, which is good. All right. We'll let you get back to work then. Listen, appreciate you taking the call, Harry. Thank you Thanks, for that. William. Thanks uh, for joining us. Bye bye. That is uh, young Harry McGann, young 20 year old referee, doing his job on the weekend. And, you know, the 30 euro payment, bless his art. He might as well be volunteering when he, I mean, he has to pay for the petrol to get him to all of the matches. And then I never realised that the referee has to, they have to provide their own whistles and their own, you know, the black outfits, isn't it, traditionally the referees wear and their own boots. So, and the flags. So he's got to, he has to, all the kit has to come with him as well. So he's certainly not in it for the money. He's in it for the love of the game and because of the abusive nature of what's happening from the sideline. He, enough is enough. He's just felt enough is enough. Somebody's saying, Patricia, they should bar parents from the sideline. Uh, they are, that's the problem. That's what's happening. But yeah, so I don't know if you can, if you can ban parents from the sideline, push them well back or something. Because the whole, I mean, children, when they're in matches and go along to matches, they want mammy and daddy on the sideline because do you remember we only we discussed this a few weeks ago which was one of the GAA clubs or it was a coach or something sent out a message to all of the parents saying that when you're coming along to watch your son or daughter in their football match their hurling their camogie whatever it is to put the leave the phone either leave the phone at home or leave the phone in your pocket or in your handbag and watch the actual action on the pitch because he said as a coach the number of times he'd watched a little boy score a goal or you know do something really good on the pitch and they'd straight away turn around to see did, did, did daddy see them did mammy see them and mammy and daddy were on the sideline with their head just you know scrolling on Facebook or something or on Instagram and it completely missed it so this coach was saying you know leave the phone if you're coming to support then watch them on the pitch so I think children do like the idea of having you know mammy or daddy or granddad or whatever it is cheering them on on the sidelines 
and the cheering on we need. But it needs to stop at that. People just need to. And I understand passion and I understand people being competitive and people wanting their son and daughter to be the very best that they can be. And then you've got other parents who never quite made it on the pitch and they're living through their children. So, you know, that's why they're egging them on to be the best that they they can be. But there has to be a level of respect for the management and for the refs and the lines people and obviously then there has to be that level of respect between the management and the coaches with the referees as well because Harry's last incident was to do with the manager was to do with somebody training the under 13 team who had a go at him but you know the rugby gang can can get it together you know what can we learn from the IRFU and then bring it to the FAI and you know bring it to the to the GAA uh, as well but I think it's a real shame that somebody with that passion for the match for the game and you know wanting to be there to, to you know to encourage on the young children and wanting to do his bit as a referee has been forced to resign as he say he may look to Cork I don't know if it's any if it's any better here in Cork as he was in Kildare it was the Kildare Local League because that's where he's from was where he was doing the refereeing. I don't know what, what it is like here in Cork when it comes to underage soccer matches. I've certainly heard about some GAA matches where the parents, the mothers, some of the GAA mothers we got complaints in about in the past and some of the language they were u- using was quite choice. But I don't know what the situation is with soccer matches. Would, would young Harry be welcome here when he comes back in September, when he goes back to college? Would he be able to pick up some refereeing games, some matches while he's here? On the matches and what, how do we control the parents on the sideline and, you know, listening to what uh, Harry had to say, a texter says, uh, I coach and the only time I see parents is when they want to give out. They use clubs as a babysitting service and then they expect the clubs and the officials to take the young people away for a day for an event or to a match or whatever it is without as much as a phone call or a thank you. It is crazy. And someone else on WhatsApp says, you know, this is just to think while we were talking about Harry, Harry is for a soccer point of view he's he's a soccer coach um it does happen in other sports as well and we were talking about GAA uh, this text says hi Patricia just listening to that young man who has given up refereeing matches my son had the very same experience in GAA matches a lot of abuse from parents and coaches some of them would you believe were actually teachers he also had to give up. Isn't that crazy? 1850-333-103. Uh, John Paul taking your calls. If you want to text or WhatsApp, you can to 0862-103-103. Now, next Saturday, the South of Ireland Band Championships returns to the town of Clonakilty. And this year, it's an extra bit special as the event is celebrating its 40th anniversary. The Old Time Fair will also take place on the same day. And joining me to preview the event is Eileen Kingston and in a moment I will speak with Noel uh, Lynch who is the PRO for the Old Time Fair but Eileen joins me. Good morning to you Eileen. Good morning Patricia. It's lovely that we've got this far together so many times we've spoken about this. Absolutely and I couldn't believe when I saw that it was 40 years. You're one of the original organisers of the band championship. Take me back 40 years to how it all started. 40 years how it all started. I'll tell you, uh, for a number of years, Bronnie Witcherly, who was a music lover and indeed a music teacher in the town, um, he wanted to have uh, 
a breast a breast bend competition in Clannacilty. Now, uh, Brawny was one of these people who persisted and persisted. Eventually, the Festival of West Cork agreed uh, to put it on the programme and the rest is history and we have arrived at 40 years. And how many bands will take part this year? Uh, 28 competing, 30 bands performing on the streets. And they're coming from all over the country. They're coming from as far away as Coal Island and they're coming from Drogheda County Louth. Uh, we have five coming from uh, from Munster, actually. And your own Tipperary are very well represented. They are feeding a great team. Uh, not like the, the team that uh, beautiful Limerick, my beautiful county beat last London, you know. <laughs> well, we won't mention that and we will move <laughs> swiftly along and talk about the bands. Um, do do the the, the bands do, what's different about this championship is um, they play their own choice of music that's right that's what makes it that actually has been the making of them over the years Patricia because with an own choice repertoire they must include a march they okay. can choose any composer any music they like we'll, this year now we'll be featuring Star Wars musicals there will be music for middle brows, high brows and everybody else. And the beautiful, beautiful part of it all is that when the bands have competed, they go downtown to various venues and they play for the public. Yeah. And it's all free, it's all wonderful, uh, you know, complimentary entertainment. And the same thing applies actually to the all-time fair. Everything that happens is a day for visitors and locals, for young and for old. Yeah, because the performances from the competition side, they're indoor Course, isn't isn't there that the way it's done? Right. Yeah. Actually, I would like to point out that this year we have uh, a new venue. It's Sacred Heart Secondary School because uh, the, the you know the community college is under construction, and uh, because of that, we don't have access. But we will be in the community hall for the junior and the senior categories and uh, the intermediate and rehearsals will be in Sacred Heart Secondary School, which is quite close. OK, let me bring in, seeing as you mentioned the Old Time Fair there, Noel Lynch, who is the PRO of the Clonakilty Old Time Fair. Good morning to you, Noel. Um, Good morning. Um, is, is, will this really add to your day to have the bands out on the street at the same time? Oh yes, it's 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 fabulous day on the street. It uh, I I think it's about five six years ago we we uh, rekindled the, the old time fair and we in conjunction with Eileen we approached them and they were more than more than happy to take us on board and then since then the both I think both championships and the old time fair have grown from strength to strength. Yeah, well, I think yeah, I think one complements the other so well, <coughs> it does, it doesn't does. it? Yeah, yes. just for people who haven't been to an old time fair, fair in Clan uh, before, Noel, just give an example of what people can expect. Well, you have basket weaving, you have the old steam engine, you have vintage bikes, you have vintage cars, vintage machinery, you have farm animals. You have a lovely little farm place there in, in back of O'Donnell's Hotel. You have a threshing machine. You have a fabulous Victorian tea party going on in the Kennedy Gardens from 2 o'clock on. You have a tin smith, you have a copper smith, you have butter making. My God, we could keep going, you know. Yeah. So and you, en- you, en- you encourage people to dress up, don't you? Oh, yes, we do, because we have some lovely prizes. And we have, uh, at the end of the day, there'll be some beautiful prizes for the best dressed couple and the best dressed male and the best dressed female and the best... Be- 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 dressed uh, child as well you know Yeah and I would encourage people to do it it's, I remember many many years ago uh, getting involved and getting my hands on one of the old black 
uh, yes. Eileen, they're Kinsale shawls. Is that what they're called? That's right. Yeah, well, the kind of Kinsale shawl. I mean, it's so beautiful. And yes. you know something? They're a collector's item now. Are and, they? And, you know, we are so proud of them. They're so beautiful. And some of the older ladies wore them with such pride and distinction. And, yeah. you know, they were just lovely. And they do create a wonderful ambience. All of those... All you know between that and the shops dressed up, the bands playing. You have the reverberating music, brass music around the town, and you have the people out enjoying themselves. And that's really what it's all about. But you know something, Patricia? None of this could happen without all the wonderful volunteers. Noel and I now are doing the talking this morning. But if you knew the team that's behind yeah. both events, it's just amazing. We have the support, you know, that we've the grant aid from Cork County Council. We have all the volunteers, we've all the stewards, we've all the people who just come up and say, is there anything we can do to make this a wonderfully smoothly run event? Because you pedestrianise the street. I mean, that's what really adds to it. That's right. That's right. Oh, that's huge. And it's it's so important. And it's safe, you know. I mean, when you think back to the street carnival there a couple of weeks ago, sure, it was just wonderful. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, uh, it's just kind of, you know, Canakilty just continues to be on fate for this summer. And that's what makes it all so special. And you always, whatever it is about the town of Canakilty, you seem to have a direct line with the man above when it comes to weather. Oh, please Because God, you always God. seem to manage, I mean, even for the, for the street... Uh, Carnival, I was worried because the forecast wasn't great, particularly with all the tables went out for dinner and the sun shone while everyone was having their food. And the forecast for Saturday is good again. It is. Listen, there is something very important though that Noel and I, I'm sure Noel, uh, when we spoke about it uh, during the week, we had a meeting last night actually, it's about the shuttle bus from the, you know, there's a shuttle bus. Um, Noel, would you deal with that please? Well, the, the, the shuttle bus is, is, um, is as you know, there's a lot of uh, walks going on in Tanakilty, yeah. the, the flooding, etc. So there's a shuttle bus uh, from the uh, industrial artery showgrounds into the town. It's about every, uh, on, on, on every 10 minutes or a quarter of an hour. So okay. people can park up by the showgrounds, get the shuttle bus into town so that there's ample parking for everybody. As uh, the Kent Street car park is, is closed due to the walks that are there. But uh, this will certainly augment the whole thing, you know, so there should be no problem. People just park up at the outside, outside of the town and get the shuttle. Yeah, and, and then and as the fact that the streets are all pedestrianised, just forget about the car and yes. just yes. W- 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 yes. wander yes. around. And, uh, I mean, when did, did the band start to arrive on Friday? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. Actually, the Lord's the Lord band from Drogheda are bringing two bands, their junior and their senior, and they will actually set the scene at five o'clock in Tannakilty on Friday evening. Okay. They will, they, oh yeah, they'll do a recital. But they're coming from everywhere. Listen, uh, it's just amazing. They're just uh, coming into town. Uh, every place is booked out, which is which yeah, is which is brilliant. Yeah, and then from early morning, listen, you have no idea. They leave. So, and there was a woman on to me. She said we're leaving at half past four. She's uh, she's up in Clare in County Offaly, um, and you know it's extraordinary how the young and the old they all arrive. Actually, we're going to have Banachul and Mella. Imagine a hundred and ten young people coming into town. They're going to do a beautiful concert at um, in the afternoon. They're bringing their their colour. Um, group, they're bringing, you know, the band, the dancers. They're, they are, they're, they're a band now, I personally know, they are amazing. 
They are they really are, amazing. Are. Yeah. But they are one of the 28 wonderful bands and they all will play at various times in Clannacilty. But it is such a tribute to the town that these people go to so much expense as well. I mean, the buses, you know, they cost a fortune coming from all those places, mm. but they still come to Clannacilty. And of course, what really, we mentioned the own, the own uh, choice repertoire, Patricia, but you know what's very important? We have a very, very wonderful adjudicators. Uh, we have two coming from the UK, Philip Harper and Tom Devoren. They are international adjudicators. So they know when they come that they will be judged, you know, fairly and also that, you know, the calibre of the music that they play uh, will, you know, match the band so there will be nobody coming just, you know, for the sake of coming, if you know. I what know, I, mean. I know. And, you know, extra special, as I said at the outset, because it is the 40th uh, anniversary. Have you anyone who was connected with the first year? Any bands still knocking oh, around? we have. have, we you have. Listen, the, listen, the Littleton band won, won the very, very first year. They will be there. There's a, there's a, the Boher Boy band from Limerick will be there. Uh, listen, I won't name them out. No, I'd let, I'd but there are, there, are, there are people who would would have been there I would have had yes. members and of the well be, yeah and would you believe this we have a 90 year old man Pat Seelan who played uh, he he actually played uh, with Boher Boy when they were here 40 years ago we have St James's band the oldest band in the country coming to Tony Kilty and they actually played at Michael Collins's funeral I mean you know and, and there are so many historical uh, Aspects it, it, to it. Absolutely. To, to that and to in so many of the bands, you know, they sent their biogs. And when you read it, the archives of those bands, they're just amazing. And you know the way some of some bands dwindle and, they, you know, you know the numbers. Uh, yeah, or they away. might disappear but, for a few years and but, then they'll come they back again. they come back. And yeah. that, has happened, that has happened with us over the years. Certain bands weren't able to be there, but they're back and it's just we will welcome them well done. all with, well with done. open arms. And I know you to finish off, I know you've got a commemorative programme just to I mean you need to mark the fortieth. Oh yes. Well we have we have a commemorative programme and uh, it you know it captures uh, all the years. Just it's it's actually we call it a miscellany of musical memory ah, and lovely. you know it's just it it it, it, it should be uh, well received on the day. Okay, so all roads leading to uh Clonakilty this weekend, uh Noel. People can arrive as early or as late as they want, is that the idea? Yes, that's as early, yeah. early as late as possible. Uh, whatever, whatever we should, uh, whatever they it. like. Um, it really starts around eleven o'clock in the morning, eleven a.m., and finishes off about six. But we ha- we will have a a massive parade through the town, starting at the Imperial Hotel at five o'clock. So, of all the bands, to, no, it will be led by by one of the marching okay. bands. Then it will be led. We, we have a wonderful uh, band called the Ambling Band or the Pink Band coming from England. Okay. Uh, they're absolutely fabulous. They're really, um, they're a really entertaining band, and they're actually a Welsh band. But uh, some of them are English, some of them are Welsh. They're staying around for the weekend, so they will be playing in the streets, and they'll also be taking part in the parade. So it's going to be one colourful parade, you know. Okay. Uh, yes, that's it, starting it, at uh, five o'clock at, at the Imperial. Everybody is welcome to take part. So we part. We 
parade right up through the town and over to the Kennedy Gardens, you know. Okay, listen, enjoy it. I know I know a huge amount of work has gone in, into an event like this. Uh, so uh, just to get the people out and encourage people, and I don't think you're going to need a lot of encouragement. I think the streets are going to be mobbed. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure <laughs> in, but but yeah. enjoy. And thank you both for taking time thank out to talk to us today. Good morning to you. Thank you. Uh, good morning, thank Eileen. You bye-bye. Good morning, bye-bye. bye-bye. Thank you very thank much. The, uh, my pleasure. Bye-bye. Noel Lynch. Noel is the PRO of the Old Time Fair. And uh, Eileen Kingston won of the founding memories of the band championship and its 40th year this year. It's an incredible achievement for all that has been involved. So for everybody heading to Clonakilty on Saturday, enjoy. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Calls coming in. Firstly, we got reaction to, well, I mentioned uh, earlier this morning, uh, a listener had contacted us to say that they regularly walk through Mill Street in Timaleague, so the Mill Street area of Timaleague, go for a daily walk, most evenings walking in that area and of late, one of our listeners has noticed the smell of cats in that area, absolutely terrible, particularly bad uh, around by the chemist shop um, Texture says that the cats are roaming the street for the last number of months and now it's gone really bad and wondering what do residents of the street, how do they cope with the smell? They must be living with it and I'm wondering if it's as bad as this listener describes that they just literally become immune to uh, it. And the listener was wondering what could be done. I then proceeded to say that back in the day when I used to have cats, I don't uh, sadly have any cats uh, uh, anymore, but I did once upon a time, that uh, bleach, I thought bleach was the only thing to get rid of that smell, that very strong smell, particularly of a tomcat, that tomcat wee smell. Oh, it's horrible. Anyway, an email in from Karen saying, in big block capitals, do not wash with bleach. Bleach has similar smelling properties as chemicals in cats urine. They then think another cat has peed where they've just marked their territory. So it becomes a perpetual cycle. Do not use bleach are indeed, says Karen, any other ammonia-based products, which can I say does make sense. White vinegar, she says, is great as a natural deterrent. Reflectors, like a clear water bottle filled with water, works well as they see a cat in front of them and that will spook them and they'll run off. Also, if you have a problem with stray cats or feral cats or the neighbour's cat coming into your garden, plastic bottles work, but also marigolds, according to Karen, they seem to hate the smell of marigolds. They were a nice little flower. I'm going to plant marigolds. You could try that. Good luck, says Karen in her email. Another caller rang to tell me to stop giving out about cats. It's natural for them to smell and they have to urinate somewhere. Don't be given the blackguards reason to torture them and throw them on bonfires. And I don't think anyone anyone would be advocating that you would torture a a cat. Jane in Mallow says, oh, Jane in Mallow points out when we were talking about that smell of cat's urine, she says there's a type of flower that smells like cat's wee. So make sure that it's that it isn't, that it's not a flower that's growing around that area. And don't be blaming the cats. It could be a plant that smells like cat's urine that could be creating the smell. Don't know if that's the case or not. Thank you for that, Jane. Eight to eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Mary was on to us, going from cats to rabbits. She's one of the one of the many people we hear from this quite often who has cats in her garden that are the bane of her life. It wasn't the last week. Now Mary says they're so bad they're nearly in the door. 
they're getting very brazen. I don't know where Mary is calling us from, but she's about 20 of them running around to her garden and running amok. And I imagine doing, they can do a lot of damage. One rabbit in a garden can do a lot of damage. Anyway, she heard us suggest, was it last week or the week before, to shred carbolic soap. Somebody swore that that was the way to keep rabbits to act to act as a deterrent and rabbits won't come into your garden if you get a bar of carbolic soap and use like a cheese grater and you grate the carbolic soap and you sprinkle that around the flowers, the lawn, wherever it is and the rabbits won't go anywhere near it. Mary heard that suggestion off. She went and bought her carbolic soap. She did her shredding. She said it made no difference at all. So she's back on saying, does anybody else have any solution? I think last week we went through so many different solutions. People were swearing about the carbolic soap. I did ask for people though who hadn't tried it before, who had a real problem with rabbits to try it. Maybe if too many rabbits, Mary, maybe that's the issue. I don't know. But 20 around the place does seem like a lot of rabbits could you grow to love the rabbits and could you plant things instead that they won't like? Because I take it they don't eat, I know they eat the flowers. Are there, are there certain ones, we need, we need someone who's really into rabbits to be able to tell us, are there certain flowers that they prefer? Are there certain flowers and shrubs and plants that they absolutely hate and won't go near? And maybe if you do have that problem with rabbits in an area, then you're going to have to relook at your garden and decide I'll plant something else or else, you know, as Peter Dowdle talks about when people give out about the daisies, you just need to go to love the daisies because we certainly don't want anybody spraying. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Weed killer or anything uh, like that. 1850-333-103. If anybody has a further bit of advice from Mary and her 20 rabbits in her garden. Brazen they are. They're nearly in the door. And then a different Mary was on to us to say she was in a supermarket last week. Now this is the reason what's prompted Mary's call. She was listening to my piece with Katrina Toomey from Penny Dinners. We spoke with Katrina in the first hour of the programme today who I, I, and I, I, st- I think I'll spend the day thinking about that couple. Uh, a young couple with a, a toddler and they walked 10 kilometres to get into penny dinners because they had literally no money. They had no money for food. They had no money to get on a bus or a train to get them into the city. So they walked 10 kilometres. Their buggy had broken just shortly after they became homeless. Their buggy broke. They're living in emergency accommodation. And so it's obviously a hotel or, or a B&B. So they're, start, they're in, stuck in that room then all day. But they needed food and they literally didn't have any more food. Now, they would have had more money coming in, you know, on the next day social welfare was in. But between whatever period of time, all their money was gone. 
so no money for the bus and no money for food and obviously they have a toddler so they needed some food so they went into uh, Katrina and Cork Penny Dinners and walked 10 kilometres and uh, that then led to me talking with Katrina especially the surveys come out from Safe Food saying that there's they reckon there's 10% of people in this country suffering food poverty where people their money is being diverted elsewhere it's go, it's going to pay other bills and people cutting back on food and eating less food is their only way of trying to save a bit of money if a, a bill comes in that has to be paid off or the rent has to be paid or the electricity has to be paid whatever it is Mary said she was in a supermarket last week and she was picking up a cooked dinner and it was obviously kind of towards the end of the close of business and she noticed that there was four other dinners on the hot plate in this particular supermarket where she was getting her, her cooked dinner and she just happened to say to the person working there what happens to those dinners you know when you're about to close do you, do you sell them at a reduced price or what happens and, and the person in there said are you joking absolutely no way do we, do we sell it at a reduced price they're dumped now Mary said perfectly good dinners on the hot plate being dumped but she knows they're perfectly good because she just got she just bought one that she was taking taking out. And Mary's wondering, are all the stores the same? And then she said, To hear you chat with Katrina Toomey from Penny Dinners, these dinners could have been given to somebody like Penny Dinners or to the Simon community or somebody else that was in uh, need. Uh, I don't think I, I don't know I don't know about cooked food I don't know if there's different rules and regulations about cooked uh, food we have the food bank in Cork we were one of the first in the country to set up this fantastic food bank that runs uh, in Cork and they go around in the evening time to all of the different stores and they certainly pick up things like uh, bread and cakes and things that are still in date or just about to go out of date and food that's just about to go out of date but I don't know about food that's cooked on the premises and served. I don't know, you know, because they've got to be so careful when, even when the food bank is picking up food that then goes on to charities, they've got to be so careful that if somebody is given something and then there's something wrong with it, can they go back and sue the original business? And that's why businesses have to be so careful. But businesses are very good. The majority of businesses are very good about if it legally is possible for them to pass on the food because nobody wants to see it going to waste. Nobody wants to see it going to landfill because if you dump it, there's a cost on getting rid of it. So the actual businesses benefit by having these charities arrive on their doorstep either every night or a couple of nights a week to pick up what they can sell that's gone out of date or about to go out of date. And even some things that might be just gone out of date, perfectly good, but obviously the store can't sell it. But a lot of the charities are, are, I don't know if they use out of date stuff, but certainly stuff that for that day, but they can use it and get rid of it and they'll have people uh, ready, willing and able to, to take it. So no, Mary, I can tell you all stores don't dump, but I don't know when it comes to food that's cooked in store maybe they've no choice but they have to dump it I don't know 1850 if anybody in the know can let us know uh, and also a lot of reaction to Harry McGann the young referee who's been forced to resign because of abusive verbal abuse and abusive and threatening behaviour I mean he used the word threatening he felt threatened 
by that man a couple of weekends ago at an under 13 match he was a, a mentor I thought he was one of the parents but he wasn't he was one of the manage, the management of the under 13 uh, team Emily said I've actually stopped sending our children to the local GAA club they've taken up other sports instead but I found there was too much of that type of behaviour when it comes to underage games I found it uncomfortable and it was more about the parents and the actual game themselves. So Emily made the decision, no, I don't want my children in that environment anymore. I don't want to be in that environment anymore. Pulled the children from the local GA club. I don't know what sports they've moved into, but they've gone into other different sports uh, instead. Margaret and Mallow said, shame on that parent. Well, it, was, it wasn't a parent, it was a manager. I know things can get heated at games and it's good to teach children to win and to lose but to start a fight at an under 18 game unbelievable it's a bit too far and from going around to games I see more of this at under age games than minor or senior games so it is commonplace don't be shocked in any way listening to Harry it seems to be going on a lot of places and a lot of other people as well blaming parents parents need to act more responsibly and I also saw a statement in from Danny Peters, chairman of the West Cork Schoolboys League, which I'm glad to read out. After listening to your interview this morning, uh, Patricia, with the referee Harry McGee, who retired. Now, by the way, Harry McGee was not refereeing here in Cork. He was refereeing in the Kildare League and surrounding areas. Uh, but he's strongly thinking about looking to Cork because he's a UCC student that he might take up refereeing down here and he seems like he'd be a great asset, wouldn't he, to any league. Anyway, let me go back to this statement from the West Cork Schoolboys League. As the current chairman of the West Cork Schoolboys League and former vice chair of the West Cork League, I would like to make it clear that both these leagues don't tolerate this behaviour by coaches, parents or spectators. Any person reported with such offences face suspension and the clubs face fines. As outlined there is a shortage of referees in most leagues and we need to make it safe for them so that more people would consider refereeing. We don't want the players to suffer by cancelling games as there are no referees available. Use common sense uh, in sport. That's uh, Danny Peters, chair of the West Cork Schoolboys League. Well done, well done, and that's really good to hear. That that's that's that sounds to me what Harry was talking about when I said to Harry, how you know how do we stop this? How do we make it safe for referees and make it enjoyable for everyone? And even if you don't agree with the referee, you know you can have your moan when you go home and on the way home, but you don't. You know he's the guy in charge. You don't take them on and you certainly don't take them on uh, in an aggressive way in front of uh, children. And Harry said the only way to do it is zero tolerance. And it does sound like what the West Cork Schoolboys League have put in place. It does to me sound like that that's zero tolerance. They don't tolerate it from the coaches, the parents are the spectators and uh, and they face suspension and the club faces fine. So that does look like zero tolerance. Uh, well done. Maybe you might make contact with Harry McGann. He could maybe become a referee for you when he returns to college in September. 1850 103. And to the guy, Barry, wasn't it? Remember Barry contacted us who's trying to sell some items on one of Ireland's biggest online marketplaces. We're just not naming the website. I don't know why he doesn't want it, but he doesn't. And he's got some items up for sale uh, for the last two and a half weeks and he's just 
getting very frustrated and very annoyed and tired and sick to the teeth of getting endless phone calls and texts from people asking him for more information or asking him just for information that turns out is already up on the website but people are too lazy to read it and asking, uh, making arrangements to call to say they were interested in buying and then poor old Barry waits in like a half Egypt and nobody comes. Nobody comes in, the, nobody rings, nobody rings to say they won't be coming and he's just getting a bit frustrated with it and he was wondering is it just him, is something wrong with him or is it is it quite uh, commonplace? Somebody says, tell Barry who's trying to sell the stuff that when people, when, that when Barry rings these ignorant people to block his number and then they might answer the phone and the other solution when somebody rings to say they are interested in buying some of the items give them a strict time to call and tell the person that if you're not there at seven o'clock then no bother I won't be I'll be gone a quarter past just give them a strict time so that you're not waiting in all evening because yeah I mean, I'm picturing the scene where Barry somebody says they'll call at seven and when they're not there at half seven he's still waiting in centre. maybe they'll call at eight maybe they you know and then when he tries to ring they don't answer maybe they've been delayed you know and if you're trying to sell something you're trying to sell something so you're and you're airing on the side of the good nature of people and that they said they'd call which is surely they will call and then they don't call uh, Jessica said this is the same in shops I work in a store and our website, our Facebook page, we would have some of our items advertised now in stock. But we endlessly get people ringing the store asking questions, which is fine. But it's the questions. All of the information is already on the website, is already on the Facebook page. But you get people ringing and then people ringing, asking all kinds of questions. Do you use the products yourself? I'm generally just wanting a chat. And Jessica says, we're trying to work in the store at the same time. So people do that. People just want more information or else people are very lazy. The information is already there, but they insist on ringing and having the bands and asking all the same questions with it, that they could have got the information if they'd read the item they'd read the detail in the print that was on the uh, ad Liam in thank you for that Jessica Liam in Abbeyfield says that is going on non-stop if you advertise whatever wherever I feel you just have to tell people to meet with the money straight off I blame says Liam the free calls on phone package bundles these days people just seem to call up for a chat or a talk uh, and they just want to talk about what you're selling some of them may not even be serious about purchasing the product God, are people that lonely and that stuck for somebody to call that they're ringing random people who've got a classified ad I don't know if that's the case certainly picking up the phone and ringing people don't think about it because there isn't a cost factor I think you're right on that there was a time when we paid individually for all of our telephone calls where you where you might stop and think about it but yeah I think you're right on that that people are more will pick up the phone and ring, uh, ring easier now because it is a bundle it's an all, they almost feel like it's free calls. Thank you for that, Liam. And John O'Donovan was on, having listened to my interview with Katrina, to say I admire Katrina Toomey and all the work that she and the rest of the gang do at Penny Dinners. But you always know John O'Donovan, there'll be a but coming. They need to watch themselves when it comes to politics. Before the local elections, all of the politicians were in and out and were using Penny Dinners for photo shoots. Penny Dinners need to ask the politicians what they are doing 
for people like the people they help and refuse any more photo shoots with politicians until they do their job. 1850-333-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. 30th anniversary celebration and community garden launch at Fomoy Community Resource uh, Centre and it's on from now until 2 o'clock today. Um, There is a gardening demonstration going on and the garden launch is going to happen as well. The Blood Transfusion Service are holding donor clinics in Cork Racecourse in Mallow today, 5pm to 8.30pm and on Wednesday and Thursday, 3 to 5 and 7 to 9. A monster bingo in aid of suicide awareness in Pieta House will be held in the Parkway Hotel in Dunmanway. That is happening this evening. While bingo is on every Tuesday night, including tonight, 8 o'clock, Ovens GAA Pavilion, all are welcome. And volunteer leaders are needed for Newmarket Faroiga Youth Club. If you can spare two hours per week to work with 12 to 18-year-olds, can you please contact 87 where full training will be provided. And the Do- Joe Dolan Tribute Show will be held in Banniscarthy Hall tomorrow night at 8. Tickets are available from Teddy's uh, shop. And the Donkey Sanctuary in Niscara, they're holding a teddy bear's picnic and activities. It's happening this Thursday from 12 noon to 3. Adults are free. Children, though, they've got a pair of fiver to get in. And don't forget your teddy bear. Rogan's picnic for a great afternoon. OK, going to the phone comment line where Dennis in Mallow joins me. Good afternoon to you, Dennis. Now, I've spoken with you before about this. This is an issue that is particular to your area. You live in Davis Terrace in Mallow and it is the telephone line that runs across the road. That's right, yeah. Um, It was cut again this morning. We were on there, remember, before, back in March. Yeah. And um, same story again this morning, just the truck. The wrong height passed and cut it. And it also cut a neighbours this time. So there was there was, only, there was two down this time, it was three the last time. Are there any uh, signs up there to warn? Oh, no, 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 no. no. This has gone for years, Patricia. This is nothing new to us. Like. So it then, seen, uh, as soon yeah. as it happens, then you've got to contact Air, is it? Yeah, yeah, I was on from there this morning straight away. And um, I got through very fast this time. The last time it was an hour and a half, wait. <laughs> I remember. Or an hour and a quarter, yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, um, the guy on the phone was very. He was fine about it. He was. He checked. He had to check to see on his side that it was right. He can't take my word for it. Like he has to do his stuff on that side. That was grand. And um, he could up to three days now again, like before we be reconnected. That's that's the usual. Like we're we're used to that. So you're out. Your your phone is down and your broadband is down. Yeah, luckily enough, though, I my daughter has um, a phone and I'm able to tap into her. Um, Hotspot or something's called. Yeah, yeah. So I have internet, so I to stay for a couple of days. But it's <laughs> it's not good enough. It's no, no, that's my point. Um, it's reoccurring. I mean, if the wire if the wire is connected now Thursday, it could happen again Friday. It could happen next week. It could happen in two months' time. It's reoccurring. Like it is a big inconvenience to us. Yeah, and yeah. And, and it's and you've obviously over the years have you have. Have you lost count of the number of times it's happened? Oh, I just forgot to have, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just this time now, I kind of remember being on the radio the last time, so I said, you know, like, now we'll highlight it again now this time because... And, and we'll, only, we'll put an email, yeah. an email through to, uh, to air as well. Yeah. Uh, because the obvious thing is, is what? Put it underground? 
is it? Well, John Paul was saying that as well. I suppose that's a big job, but maybe I was thinking if they move the pole from where it is to a different location, that there'd be a less of a dip in the line. It's like a washing line. I know. So if you let it, yeah. So ours is the farthest away from the garden across the road. Yeah. So ours is the biggest dip. Where I know, yes. My neighbour next door now, she's, hers is still up. The neighbour above that is still up, but then number five is gone. So it just depends on the dip or the height of the truck. And the truck driver, probably not even aware he's done it, or no, is he? No, that was the last time. I wouldn't think so. They, no. they, they have no reason to know, like, sure, why would they, like, it's like cutting the clothesline, sure, what, who's going to know? It? I know, sure. yeah. He's, got, he's gone on, he's driven on, the line's gone down behind him, he's not going to see it, like. Would it help if a sign went up? Would that make any difference? I wouldn't think so. No. I, I wouldn't think I'd have stopped the trucks passing here. Oh, God, it's, 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 <laughs> it's frustrating. And of course, people in Mallow, Dennis, will know you as you're Dennis from the Act, the Mallow Act. Act you're one yeah. of the administrators with the Act of Kindness. Yeah. Actually, it's funny. I was, it's, it's interesting that you rang today because I was thinking of you today when what? I read out the um, email from the listener who's trying to sell something and That's they're right. getting calls and, and nobody comes. They're promising yeah. their call and and, and yeah. it struck me with a page like yours where yeah. people are so kind to you and you do you get people saying yeah I'd love that and then yes. they don't they don't call for it. Yes. Oh. I shouldn't be saying I shouldn't be saying it like but I know I suppose in defence of the people that are giving kindness, we are trying our best. People think that we don't address the issue but we are addressing the issue and we're following up all the time in the background people don't realise we do but we do but I, just yesterday now with a woman she was giving I won't say what she was giving and um, three people left her down first person never contacted her she attempted to contact them and they had her blocked oh. next per- yeah next person then she attempted to ring him they never answered the phone and the third person then couldn't collect yesterday and she said that she's, she actually told me on Sunday she was going to, if the third person didn't collect, she was going to take it off the page completely, which, I mean, she's entitled to do. Mm. And it's very, listen to that man now, like, he's selling. These people are just giving stuff away. It's kind of like, it's, but isn't, no isn't it complete rudeness when somebody says, yes, yes. I can take yes. it. Yes, I can yes. call. I mean, yes. and I absolutely, I could say to you, Dennis, I'll call to you at seven this evening yes. and then something happens. And then yes. we all know... But you'd pick well, up the phone or you'd send yes. a text message. I just can't that's understand all, that rudeness. That's, that's all we ask of the person that's taking the kindness. Just text message, private message or phone call. Well, we don't encourage people to give out phone numbers, but it's normally done over private message. Yeah. You know, through the, through, that's, that's the majority of people who act like. And um, what does it take? 10 seconds? That's all. That's all. Yeah. But having said that, that's the very minor part of the great work that you do. Your oh, your, yeah. your page yeah. is flying it and endless it acts of kindness from people, isn't yeah. it? It's fantastic. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, the majority of people are very thankful and very, uh, they, they will turn up on time. Like, But it's just, we have a few that are reoccurring and we are watching them now like, and we are, they're going to know it when they when they're cut. And know, do you see do you see great need there, Dennis, from people? Yeah, yeah. a lot of lot of people are debating that they they kind of see that maybe people are taking taking, but we don't judge, Patricia. We we, we can't judge if 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 a, a big car pulls up one nine one outside my door. I can't judge the person. I don't know what they're going home to. Yeah, like. That woman there know about the, the people this morning with the buggy. Like, yeah. look at their circumstances. Like, yeah. they, I mean, these people could be living off a wage. They may may have no food. They may have no 
clothes for a child or something. We can't judge, like, basically. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And as, as Katrina spoke, you know, talked about yeah. that couple of walk the 10 kilometres, yeah. she described them as dignified and focused, focused on yeah. trying to get out of this mess they're in. You yeah. know, God help yeah. them. And we would, we would say the same. No, well, we don't do it with, with food or anything yeah. because we wouldn't have to sit because we're working from our houses, like our homes. So we don't deal with that. But as as you saw there, now we're doing the back to school. Now at the moment, we're doing school uniforms. Fantastic trade, idea. And yeah. we're doing books as well. So we have a trade running. It's called a trade. And everyone just puts what they have up in it and people contact them and arrange to collect. It's like brilliant. It's all free. It's brilliant. There's no it's brilliant. money whatsoever. It's yeah, brilliant. So it's the, the Mallow Act of Kindness page. It's, it's, ter- kindness. it's terrific. Yeah. And I know there's similar ones uh, around the country oh, as well. Is. It's, there is. There is. Yeah, great. they're very... Yeah, All right, listen, Dennis, um, right. we, uh, sorry Thanks. we got off the subject, but glad that we got onto that subject. It's a good one. We'll get on to air and uh, we'll keep in contact with you, OK? Well, I have wife in so I'm up and running for the next good, few days. Good, All right, take care. <laughs> right, take care. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Uh, that is uh, Dennis and Mallow, one of the administrators, also from the Act of Kindness page. Uh, we were talking about food and what happens to leftover food. Michael, listening to us in Clonmel. Today, good to have you along, Michael. Said I was chatting to a girl one day coming out of a large supermarket and I asked her, what happens to all the cooked food? Uh, Exactly what your other caller was describing earlier. She says the cooked food gets dumped. What is left over is thrown out. What about the old phrase? What about the old phrase? Waste not, want not. Surely that food could be used for all those who are struggling today with food poverty. Uh, it, uh, yeah, I just think that there must be different laws to do with cooked food because certainly with bread and stuff and fruit and products that are just about to go out of date, there are charities because certainly the food bank in Cork um, takes it so the, uh, regularly on a daily basis takes it from businesses. So there must be, there's got to be something. There has to be some rules, you know, food and sa- health and safety and when it comes to food safety and all of that, uh, we'll try and see if we can find out what that, what that is. 1850 Going to take a very quick break and we are back chatting with Joe Heffernan about loneliness. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Just a quick mention, because somebody was on, uh, was on about a dog that went missing near Rusheen, outside McCroom. The, it's described as a lovely sheep dog. He was frightened by a gunshot uh, and he ran off, got spooked. Uh, any sightings to 089-427-6819. And that's from John, if anybody spotted that sheep dog. And while that text came in, and I'm trying to, uh, John Paul has unfortunately tied up the phones, have been very busy this morning. Um, uh, Maureen has sent in an email. I just don't have a picture with a picture of a missing dog that she found between Bantir and Rathcool on the Bantir Mill Street Road. I don't know if it's one of the same dog, but she has sent on an, e- an emailed photograph to us. So we will check and just see if it's one of the same. I, I, I don't know if it, if it is, uh, because she says if they don't find the owner, she wants to try and get the dog at rehome. So I will see if one and the same match up there. Joe Heffernan joins me and we're late. My apologies going to Joe. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon. And you're welcome. And actually somebody has been on saying when you have Joe on today, could you ask him, please, for help with public speaking? I have my brother's wedding and I'm best man and I'm very nervous about doing the speech. This is coming from uh, Steve. Um, I straight away, when, when I read that text, thought of to- Toastmasters. Yeah, indeed. And they do a nice breaker, uh, which is like what it says on the tin. It breaks the ice. And um, 
you know, if, yeah, that would be a good little bit of what we'd call exposure therapy. Um, it's it's an extremely well-known thing, you know, um, performance anxiety. Um, apparently, Pavarotti, and he hadn't much to be anxious about, but he would be actually physically sick going on. Um, as fi- she physically get sick before he'd perform? I, I gathered that Whoa. might have happened um, uh, on a very rare occasion, yeah. but he felt sick and, you know, he'd be a bundle of nerves and uh, he'd nearly have to be pushed out onto the stage. Then he'd wave his white hanky and then he'd start singing and then everything would be grand. Yeah, but this this thing of the best man speech and the yeah. other one is the father of the bride speech. I mean, I always feel for for guys the, the dads and the best the best man. It, yeah, I, I had a guy here now who was um, going to be best man <coughs> and was feeling extremely nervous about it. Now, one of the things we did was um, uh, we went online and found, um, I suppose you'd call them witty best man speeches. Yeah, template first kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, uh, that helped a bit because it wasn't, oh my God, what did I say? There were a couple of ideas in it that could be adapted to his particular situation. Yeah. Um, the other thing um, would be, um, <coughs> quite a lot of work I do would be with um, relaxation therapy. Um, you know, basically we're talking breathing, we're talking awareness, we're talking keeping the head, not letting the emotions um, take over especially an emotion of fear. And, um, uh, I mean, you know, people would be very surprised to have heard you the time that you said that I think you were doing a reading at um, uh, at an occasion. Yeah, in the church. Uh, Yeah, and that you were extremely nervous about it. And people would say, sure, that can't be. Sure, (laughs) Patricia's on the radio every day. Very different, yeah. But it's different. And yeah, uh, and and I I I think the key is is preparing. I think what you've said about getting you know an idea of the speech, or yeah. even even if even if he has an idea, uh, Steve already has an idea in his head what he wants to say. Write the speech. Write yeah. it word for word. Yeah, yeah. I'd find that now that <laughs> um, if there was an occasion when I might be asked to sing a song. Yeah, but you, see, you can sing is, now. I have the words in about 16 or 18 font yeah. um, printed out and somewhere near me. <laughs> and um, if things get drastic, I, a glance will get me off the hook because it's um, it's printed very large font. And is that because your fear is forgetting the words? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the, you know, the old head could go completely blank and um again you see it's like a comfort sheet it's um it's uh it's like you said it's it's a bit of preparation and if you're very well prepared um you feel more confident because mm. there's less can go wrong like if the fear with me took over that i would forget the words well that then would nearly be um uh, a certainty that the words would get forgotten so yeah the bit of preparation so have have the speech scripted and then i would recite it at home in front of a mirror countless yeah. times if yeah. if need if needs when, be. when i was doing student counseling now in <laughs> in ucc and um 
uh, a student would come in um, very nervous about a presentation. Presentation to either a smallish group or a very big group, the whole class, um, which, as you know, in college can be huge. Mm. And uh, they'd, they'd be going to do maybe a PowerPoint presentation with it. So um, they'd come in with a laptop and I would sit down as the audience and they would deliver their presentation. And um, again, that would be, I suppose you'd call it a dry run, a practice run. But um, that again gave confidence because um, uh, a person would realise where they might have a little difficulty and would uh, straighten that out. Or I might be saying, as would usually be the case, well done, that was I, I I understood perfectly what you wanted to get across, and uh, and that then would lend um, uh, would would give confidence. So that <coughs> excuse me with this little cough, I I can't seem to shake. I know it's yeah, don't worry about it. You're doing fine. So it's it's preparing and then reading over it. And if and and if Steve could maybe, I don't know if Steve has a partner or somebody else in the family run the speech by them. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A practice run is ideal, yeah. And then breathing, that that whole thing oh, about... This whole thing of breathing is, you know, it's the basis of um, getting through things. Um, um, I, I'm, I'm not amazed, but um, 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 loads of people that I would um, be working with would say to me, um, oh, so... It's you, you breathe. That's what deep breathing means, because I would have said to many people that sometimes deep breathing gets misinterpreted as kind of heavy breathing, mm-hmm. like <gasps> this kind of thing, you know. And of course, that would get anyone stressed out. And there's, um, shallow is the chest and deep is the tummy. So it's to breathe down to kind of bypass the chest to the tummy. And if you blew into a balloon, it would expand. So if you're breathing to the tummy, the tummy will expand when you breathe in, when you inhale. And um, and that has worked, uh, I don't know how many times, um, to get over little phobias or sitting in, uh, waiting to go into an interview or, um, or, or whatever kind of a situation would be um, uh, a little bit fearful for a person. And um, yeah, th- there are these little tricks. I talk about the four four downs for those kind of situations. Um, breathe down, um, shoulders down, slow down, and voice down. And if you do those, um, people have found that they work tremendously well. Yeah, because if you bring your voice down a little and you take it a little bit slower, you find that your whole system responds with a feeling of relaxation. Mm. Whereas if you're uptight, the shoulders are up, the voice is up and the talk gets very quick and that ain't good. And the thing is, I think we overthink these situations uh, for, for Steve. Nobody will even remember his speech. We've been to so many weddings o- over the years and how many of us can remember a best man speech or a father <laughs> the bride speech? You know what I mean? And people get so het up about it and he will, you will do absolutely fine. The other piece of advice I would give 
keep away from the bar for Dutch courage. Well, I've, it's funny that you I've seen that disasters. Because, I've well, seen disasters of, yeah, of, of yeah, best men's speeches yeah, because make a complete hands of it. Um, somebody got too nervous and had too many brandies to calm the nerves. Well, when you mentioned about <laughs> the father of the bride speech, I started thinking about Brendan yeah. Gray. <laughs> yeah, that, that's yeah. a typical one. That's a typical one. Yeah, that wouldn't go down very well. No, though. no, but uh, but but you know, try not to worry about it. And the other one, Steve, I don't know whether the, his family can do this or not. And I've seen this done at a few weddings because people are nervous about the speeches. They do the. They do the speeches before the dinner so the people haven't to wait for the entire meal. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. And look, let's face facts like most people at weddings um, are hoping that the speeches will be <laughs> short, sharp and to the point. <laughs> <You're>, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. again, we've been at weddings where they've just gone on too long. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. So keep them. And, and hopefully, Steve, that that's uh, good advice. Let us know, by the way, how you get on. And if in the meantime, where we started out with talking about Toastmasters, if you can get to a Toastmasters group, I don't know how soon the wedding is, but Toastmasters, one of the main reasons people initially go to Toastmasters is usually for something like that, a best man speech or a father of the bride yeah. uh, speech. Now, we're going to have to hold off on our loneliness piece that we were going to do, okay. uh, but we will get to it. We'll, we'll do it instead um, next week we um, on, on the programme uh, because I didn't, when I saw that text come in, I just wanted to spend time uh, with uh, making sure that uh, we gave some advice to Steve. And as I say to Steve, yeah. if you can let us know how you got on. All yeah. right, um, Joe, we'll chat again next week. And I we promise you, we will get to the loneliness okay. piece. Okay. All right, take care. Right. Bye bye. Uh, Joe. Heffernan who runs a counselling practice in Bohubwe his number is 0297661 and before we go just just to wrap up on some of your texts uh, coming uh, in um, people are still on about um, the young referee Harry McGann and the young referee saying can't believe that that's going on in, in sport but others saying not in any way surprised that they've seen it at all different types of GAA and uh, soccer matches but why does it rarely ever happen on a at rugby it seems they have zero tolerance when it comes to uh, rugby okay I have to wrap it up there thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing we've got Nick Richards with you for the afternoon and I'll be back with you tomorrow morning at at 10 o'clock and of course tomorrow Wednesday we'll have Peter Dowdle answering all of your gardening questions until tomorrow 10 on Patricia Messenger Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.